Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I, Brian Betts, that, yeah, uh, I state your name, what was that? Um, uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, clearly the most eloquent and thoughtful one, so I get to preach for the last week. You know what you do is you screw up right away and then you can relax, so here we go. I can't do any worse than that. Um, is it time for the church to change? We've taken on multiple topics um, during this series, all with this as our rallying point biblically. Uh, Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of time, let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And each week during this series, depending on the topic, there's been something that's been a little more emphasized over, over others, whether it was when I talked about cancel culture and it was about understanding how to walk alongside outsiders, um, whether it's been abortion or immigration or uh, politics, learning more about how to speak wisely, how to be conscious with our words. And today's topic, I think, is an amalgamation of all of these things. It all comes together in this. Uh, the title for it is media, but I specifically want to talk about the news. I don't think there is anything more uh, central to how we are wired um, than how we are reacting to the news today. And so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how it works, how the news has changed a little bit. We'll, we'll work on our sociology degrees together. Uh, and if I still have you at that point, we're going to talk about our Christian worldview and how it matches up to this. But before I get started, I want to talk, I want to, I want to level set us here because I'm going to go back to this as our vocabulary for the morning. We have a gift from God. And the way I'm going to talk about it is this idea of two lenses on the world. And Jonathan Edwards, the theologian from the 1700s, gets the most credit for this. Uh, but there have been some very smart people like Todd Chapman who have also picked up on it, uh, and it has helped. I'm about to go in and ask for a raise, by the way. That's why. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, Jonathan Edwards. You gotta do better than that. Jonathan, oh, no, no. I, I got about seven of those coming during this sermon. Uh, for those of you who are at home, Todd just yelled, that wasn't good enough. Uh, seeing this world through these two different lenses is an absolute gift that God has given us. Now, realizing what this means is something else. So the first lens is this small lens. This is what our finite human brains can actually handle. It's the world right in front of us. It's the things that grab our attention, and it's the things we can't see past. It's the ones that really hit our emotional center. They make us angry. They make us nervous. They make us scared, or they make us love. They make us drawn to other people. The small lens is what we have. And then there's one more lens. Sorry, it's our view of the moment. There's one more lens, which is our big lens. And our big lens is understanding God's covenant with his creation. So I'm going to go into these and break them apart a little bit more and go a little bit deeper in not only what they are, but how they affect us right now and in light of talking about what the news is, the news cycle, and how it's impacting both church culture and outside of church culture. But these two lenses set us up to understand what we as finite human beings can understand and then who God is, what God has promised, and what God through scripture has revealed for us. And my hope is that when we get through all this, we'll be centered on this idea, that God's truth 
is the guide to this broken world. There's brokenness all around us in everything, relationally, structurally, physically. And all of this fights for our attention and our emotions and wants us to pull away from who God is. But when we understand God's truth, it leads us to live with confidence, even when in our small lens, hope is lacking. Hope may seem small. So let me pray for this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we go into this, uh, open our hearts, open our minds, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be drawn to you this morning, to realize how big you are, to understand how this broken world is pulling on us and distracting us, and through your spirit to be able to overcome and rally with the truth that you have blessed us with. In your name we pray. So small lens. If we could visually explain it, it would be like this. We have lots of different small lenses because we're finite and we're distracted. So here's my attempt. My, I will be signing uh, printed lithographs of this later, by the way. So we have many small lenses. Right now, some of the small lenses that many of us are working with are what's going on with our kids? What's going on with our housing situation? What's going on with the recall? Afghanistan has all hit us deeply. What's happening with this new, with the Delta variant or whatever the next variant is going to be? I thought we were over this. I'm tired. I'm emotionally tired from all of this. It doesn't even start to talk about things like climate change. Or do we have to go back to wearing masks all the time? All of these small lenses, they're all fighting for our attention. And it's healthy to be aware of these things. But right now, we're looking at almost every single one of these topics, what we're being fed with, how we're coming up to our understanding of things. You pick a topic, I can pretty much show you two points of view that seem completely opposed, but both are claiming factual evidence for where they stand. And that's the thing with the news cycle right now. Our small lens on news is this. The struggle to identify fact versus fiction seems to be growing. How many of you checked the news this morning before you came in? How many of you have had the warm, tingly good feelings when you checked the news this morning? <laughs> How many of you actually felt like yet another headline is continuing that cycle? That spin, each headline makes us angrier than the one before, more hopeless than the one before, more confused than the one before. So I want to I wanna work through this with you guys, and this is the sociology degree part that we're going to work on. You're going to get a little glimpse of uh, what I used to do for a living in my marketing job. A couple of grounding uh, stats to let you know that you guys are not alone in struggling to figure out what is happening right now with the news? 56% of Americans agree with the statement that journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false and gross exaggerations. I see a few head nods. 58% think that most news organizations are more concerned with supporting an ideology or a political position than actually informing the public. The days of the trusted nightly news anchor seem to be gone. After the election, the figures deteriorated even further. 57% of Democrats trusting the media 
Hey, Orange County. 18% of Republicans trust the news. Oddly enough, the people who didn't have the result go their way are the people who are wondering if what they're hearing is accurate. Fact or no fact, it has hit us. It has impacted us for how we're looking at how we're informed. So all these other topics throughout the entire summer, we talked about the news, these articles that are informing us, we're wondering what's actually factual now. So we're going to work through how we got there. And this is a big part of it. Trust in social media is at an all-time low of 27%. So if you get your news from social media and you're buying it completely, there's fewer people who are on board with, with your point of view. But social media has, has had a massive impact on the news. And here's how it works. How did we actually get to this point that trust is so low? Here's what it was for a while. And I'm not even going to go all the way back to Walter Cronkite. We'll go, we'll go cable news as of 20 years ago. It was networking cable news, local news, local newspapers. You had these big, heavily funded operations that gave us the news. And in that, we had a level of trust that they were vetting their employees because there was money to be had, there was reputations to be upheld. And so we had a basic level of trust just because the system was what it was. And then in 2004, Facebook showed up. 2010, Instagram. Now we have 100 plus social media platforms and countless online news sites and blogs to go with the stuff that we already had. I had the gift. I, I didn't realize it at the time. I knew it was insightful for my business job. I had the gift of a friend of mine was a marketing executive for Time Inc. And he brought me to this conference that they had. And it was a, it was a panel talking about the future of creativity and, um, and content. And it had Judd Apatow, this Hollywood director. That's why everybody wanted to go. They wanted to see Judd Apatow in person. But the guy who was the most insightful was the guy who created Pandora, the music streaming service. He talked about this idea called the creative middle class. Never before could you be creative and be comfortable. Just kind of have an average living like we do, clock in, clock out. It was always you were either in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or you were in your parents' basement as a 45-year-old with a guitar. I know a few of those. <laughs> you were a superstar athlete or you eventually settled in some kind of sales job to some extent. There was never a, you could make $150,000 a year being creative. And that hit me in that moment when I heard it. I went, huh. And he said it was basically just around this. iPhone was brand stinking new. He said he was talking more about laptops. Technology has made it that anybody can be creative. Whether it's software or hardware, all you need is a phone or a laptop. You don't even need your own Wi-Fi. Go sit at Starbucks. And you can be part of the news. And so we've already seen it happening. Social media has given us perspectives on topics, some legitimate, some not, that never made it to the nightly news desk, that never made it into the newspaper. And it's challenging a lot of what we heard or what we believed. And again, some of it legitimate, some of it not. 
My goal today is not to try and tell you exactly what's true and what's not. Anybody can be part of the news cycle. And so in order to understand social, uh, social media's impact on this, you have to understand what social media is. So ready? I'm going to pull together uh, probably about a nine-hour lecture on how social media works into two bullet points that I'll take about three minutes on. If you haven't seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, highly recommended in my 17 years in marketing, it is a perfect explanation of what social media is. There were no surprises for me. There was no hyperbole. I didn't like the dramatizations. If you haven't seen it, there's some dramatizations about what it looks like in a real family to have social media take over your lives. Those were a little creatively underwhelming. Uh, but factually, this is exactly what's happening. So there's two things to know about social media. The first is it's built on emotional responses. First was puppies, kitties. We all moved on real quick from people who were taking pictures of their lunches all the time. Like that bored us. Puppies, kitties, babies. And then the news snuck in at some point. Points of view started to show up about real important topics. It wasn't just about us connecting. Let me be clear, social media has lots of good to it. It helps people connect, it helps people find relationships. There were studies on the amount of social innovation that have happened because of YouTube videos. Somebody films themselves, I figured out how to do this thing. That video goes global. A kid in Africa picks it up and now suddenly, Africans have more access to information and ability to do things than they've ever had before. They figure out, because they have no pretense, a different way to do it, and they post their video. And now it gets back over here, and somebody else figures something out too. And now all of a sudden, we're growing faster as a community in how we do things. There are good things about social media. But it can also suck us in. It can also take over our lives. It can distract us, and it can mislead us. And it's through this piece of the, social, of the emotional response. Scientists have figured out it, social media interaction provides the same neural response as eating food, exercising, love, sex, gambling, and drugs. That dopamine release that all these things provide, we get from seeing more puppies and kitties and having our post liked and having our post shared. Now you've got millions of people having these dopamine releases, creating content to have their stuff liked, creating, jumping on to see what's happening, how are they getting their fix. And then you have brilliant, brilliant scientists behind that working on an algorithm. This algorithm is what's built to keep you going. Some of the smartest people alive are behind the scenes of all these things. The one that I've noticed the most, it's not even on a social media platform, Netflix. Try not watching a show they recommend. Turn off your Netflix, turn it back on. The picture changes to a different character from that show. You'll see a guy one time, next time you'll see a girl. The visual is always changing, trying to get you to grab on based on your other choices, based on what you're watching. These guys are some of the smartest, most 
absolutely brilliant science minds around, and they're all tracking all of this sub-data in what's happening in your life. Every time you look at a picture, there's coding, and all that coding goes into this big system that, that prints out how to have you follow along. And so you've, you've all seen the expression rabbit hole before. You just go on and you think you're just gonna check one thing and 45 minutes later, you've seen every landscape from Eastern Europe, you've seen every new puppy that's been born, and now also you've gotten into those points of view about the news as you're scrolling. This is how I scroll on my phone, by the way, not this. And you just keep sinking deeper and deeper and further and further. And this happens because this is what makes money. When in doubt, always follow the money. This algorithm creates two paths to make money. The first is that the platform itself, Instagram, Facebook, that has a way to draw revenue because you're spending time on there. By you spending time on there, they can sell ads. The more time you spend, they call it stickiness in the business. The more time your site is sticky, the more they hold on to you, the more they can charge. And so the more they keep you connected through all that science, the more they make. But they need people to make that information. So then you get people over here feeding that system because they make the information and they get phone calls now, social media influencers, You've heard that term? They get phone calls from brands now on the side to get side gigs. We'll give you our free product. We'll pay you if you talk about what this product was like when you took it out of the box. And so both of these things are feeding each other over and over and over. And what happened in all of this that became initially puppies and kitties and taking out your new Nike shoes impacted news. People on social media were building news brands and the national news and the cable news and the local news all started to pick up on this too. And so the world, our culture, our non-Christian culture has exploited this system in the chase for money. And they've implemented, implemented it across every news outlet we can find. That's why you're used to seeing now emotionally charged headlines. I actually try and get most of my news from the New York Times and the LA Times. I don't agree with their platforms, but I find it a fascinating effort to try and figure out where their spin or not. I will tell you actually, I've been impressed with the New York Times lately. I think they've figured out that they crossed a line and they seem to be getting a little more back toward the middle. The LA Times is a whole other story. There we go. The other piece that this has affected because there's people sitting at home with a laptop. Facts, traditional journalism, doesn't necessarily matter as much. So now you get pieces that are set up as news pieces, but they're opinion-based. And there's so many that are opinion-based, we start to struggle to separate what's actually fact from what's opinion. And so we're reading more and more things that are spinning in this. And then because of this, you get people who have built personal brands or even networks that have built personal specific brands. And so facts become secondary to that narrative. We know our readers want this as the point of view. And all of a sudden we get stories that don't fit with that point of view, so we don't talk about them as much. 
all to uphold the brand because we don't want to lose our people. You guys have seen, I'm sure, stories, news, and headlines of people who have planted brands, who have planted a flag either left or right, and then as soon as they inch just a little bit one way, that's where this cancel culture stuff shows up. How dare you give that other side credence? So to keep making money, we see more and more opposition and more and more extremes in what we're hearing. I know, I sound like a massive curmudgeon right now. I'm not going to tell you about who's right and who's wrong. I'm not going to tell you about how to fix this in specifics. I want to go to here. I want us to all reflect what is this actually doing to us as people? Because whether you're on social media or whether you're watching Fox News or CNN or reading the LA Times or the New York Times, this is impacting all of us. I think here's the first thing. It's manipulating our desire to make sense of the world. We all have a worldview. None of us want to feel dumb or lost or out of control. So it's really easy to grab onto opinions and half-truths that support where we already are. It gives us a chance to feel like we, we actually get this. We're worth something. We have value because we understand how the world is working. And so we start to get caught in this part of the story and we rabbit hole down one specific point of view, never even thinking that maybe the actual truth might be here or that there might be an opinion over here that actually has value. And then the social media effect just keeps it spinning. And the other piece is, because of these headlines, the way they're working, our emotions are on high alert right now. Every half hour of news, every headline, every opinion piece, every social media post that says, how dare these guys do that? That feel like we're being encroached upon, that feel like our society is falling apart? It's just building more and more and more. We feel our shoulders coming up toward our ears. We're getting a little tense. Both of those things, very internal. Here's what it's doing to us externally. And this is inside and outside the church. I think it sets us up for a fight or flight reaction to what's happening in the world. The first is on the flight side, we just simply disconnect. And it comes from a healthy place, especially for Christians. Hey, I get it. This is a mess out there. I'm going to withdraw. What has God told us about withdrawing as someone who has faith, as someone who can share the gospel with the world? He doesn't want us living in a cave somewhere. He wants us to be able to engage. And so full withdrawal, even when we're intimidated by what's happening, is not a healthy end. And for those who don't withdraw, we're getting encouraged to fight. Up here, the first reaction is to punch. I shared last time. That's my natural first reaction. I'm a fighter by nature. There's lots of us who are. So our reaction when we're seeing this over and over and over is to take control and take back what belongs to us. And if you were here when I talked about cancel culture, I talked about the danger of us versus them. The people that want to fight have built a construct in which the world is now us versus them. Here's the evil people. We are in the right. Let's go get them. Conversation breaks down. 
Our ability to actually connect with people, to actually share the gospel in an authentic and genuine way breaks down. And the more this happens, the more we keep getting pushed to the extremes of this. Even centrists are seen as being the appropriate term. Disconnected. Because they don't have the fight that so many people have now. They don't have the drive that so many people have now. And so our consumption of the news, the way we work through this, the way we see these headlines, all the things that they're doing to us internally, it's diminishing our hope. This struggle to identify a fact from fiction, if we actually step back and look at it in our small lens and what we can understand, it feels like the world is falling apart because we're allowing the world to fall apart outside of church circles and even inside of church circles. The weight that is sitting on all of us right now, when we can only see here, I'm imagining between life and brokenness, things we can't even control like the headlines. They're just creating a weight. We're coming to church now versus three, four years ago in a different way. I think there's just more weight on people's shoulders when they're coming. We're trying to get that little moment on Sunday mornings, or that moment in life group where we get built back up, we get a little more confidence, our shoulders come up a little bit more. And then we go home, and we get on our phones, and we read the news, and we start getting spun all over again. And that's because of our small lens view. This is what it's like to be human. Now let's talk about big lens. Because we have this gift, this big lens, Christianity has this gift. This gift through scripture that is going to break through the weight that this world is trying to put on us. The weight that Satan wants us to pull down and get lower and lower and lower. He's trying to get us to not realize that there is a big lens. Here's my simple drawing for the big lens. There's the small one. God's got a really big lens. We are tiny. All of us are tiny. Our small lenses are nothing compared to God. Now, we can't see his lens. That's the challenge. We don't know how all this pain and all this frustration and all these headlines and all these addictive draws of social media are actually going to work together for our good But we do get the privilege of knowing he has a big lens. So when we're able to actually step back, we see God looking at this same situation. None of this is news to God. To understand why it's not news, three basic things for understanding what's happening with God's big lens. The first God is in control. 
God is in control. He is always in control. He has always been in control. He created the universe from nothing. And nothing will ever change that that's the case. If you've read your Bible and you get to page 12, this story might sound familiar. It's actually the first instance of fake news that we have written down. Snake turns to them and goes, hey, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Are you really going to die? And guess what? Just like broken humanity with a small lens, they bought it. Go a few verses later, God says, this is nothing. I'm still in control. Yeah, you screwed up royally, and it's going to change things, but I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send somebody. Not only is that snake going to get it, but you guys are going to have an opportunity to get back with me. And then he gives us these beautiful glimpses throughout the rest of the Bible that remind us that he works for the good of those who love and trust him. It's a common theme. No matter how much we screw up, when he makes a promise, he fulfills it. And he has promised that he works for the good of those who love and trust him. Two stories where he's given us a glimpse of what it's like when that happens. Joseph, as a kid, abandoned by his family, his brothers want him out, sold into slavery, backstabbed by a woman who wants him, that he won't submit because he's honoring God, and then lives through a famine how many of you have those four markers in your, in your personal story? And then at the end of it, the brothers come back, terrified that because of all the time that Joseph, who loved his father, and his father, who loved him, when his dad died, they're so concerned that now Joseph is going to become angry because of all the lost time with this dear, beloved father of his. Joseph responds with this. As for you, turns to the brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It wasn't even just about Joseph. Because of him ending up in Egypt, because of him being there, people were saved from the famine. Lives were saved because of his pain. God was able to do good and bring more people to faith because of Joseph's story. Joseph had this gift of in his lifetime, even though this is what he was seeing, he knew there was a big lens. And he got to see the gift of what that big lens was. You know how we all get those, we get little moments where something works out for us. We go, wow, I kept thinking, I was going to end up over here, and God closed that door, and I ended up over here, and I couldn't imagine something better. Joseph got one on steroids. And then this one.
He's the savior of mankind. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. And then he's beaten, tortured, hung from a cross. And then after he raises, there's still people who don't buy it, but the people who do are tortured and jailed and killed. One of them in particular is Paul. Paul keeps ending up in jail. Paul doesn't have a great situation happening here. That doesn't even count the horse part. Paul is watching all these people who believe, who have faith, being treated in this small lens like maybe God doesn't have a big lens. And then he writes a letter to the Romans. He says, for those, we know that, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He's watching people being murdered and tortured and jailed, including himself being tortured and jailed. And he says, guys, have faith. This all works out for us because God is who he says he is. And in saying who he says he is, this third one, he promises a future beyond the challenges of this world. That's the end game. We get eternity with him basking in his glory. No matter what kind of junk gets thrown at us in this life, his big lens He's given us enough of a sneak peek to know this wins. We win when we trust and love him. This isn't about our comfort now. This isn't about us getting everything we always wanted. This is about us getting more than we could even imagine for eternity. And when we have that view, we're able to put on a big one's life, even in our small one's experience. And this is what faith is. This is the definition of faith, believing that even though you don't see it, that God's promise will be fulfilled, that God is who he says he is. So no matter what headlines are being thrown at us, no matter what opinions, no matter what that's doing to our friends and our conversations that used to be free and easy, now all of a sudden we have to watch our words with people who we used to be able to tell anything to. God wants us to remember he's in control. So how do we put this together? How do we live with big lens confidence in our small lens life? This first one is going to be more practical. We need to be objective with what we see. God gave us this phenomenal gift of our brains. Our ability to think critically, to work through things, to understand what we have. We also have the gift of the spirit that allows us to be enlightened to figure out what's true and what's not. And it's not true and what's not about things of this earth, but ultimately that God is who he says he is. 
So practically, one of the things we as Christians need to understand is we need to understand bias. There is bias in everything you read, see, and hear. It's our job to figure out, is the bias healthy for us or not? The New York Times, the LA Times, CNN, Fox News, they all have bias. Your favorite social media poster, they all have bias. They're trying to get something either for you or from you. All these voices of truth, there are lots of people there who it's just them trying to make money. They actually don't care about you. Maybe they started caring about you, but in the pursuit of money, it's not about you anymore because they got a taste of what this world wants to offer. I have a bias. In telling you guys all this stuff, I have a bias. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. It is your guy's job to figure out, is my bias for your good or for my self-serving purpose? I could let you send that one for a little bit. How we go about understanding that bias? Functional recommendation. Listen to both sides. All these topics, listen to both sides. It's a habit I started a long time ago, and I highly recommend it. If you're watching cable news, listen to Fox News and listen to CNN. They give you a gift that you don't realize if you're not doing both. You hear the same story on both sides, and you see the spin on both sides. And somewhere, they give you little nuggets that match up between the two stories. Pretty good chance those are the actual facts of the situation. Every Google article that I read, I go find the other side, and I look exactly for that. What's the thing in the middle? Where, am I, where are they actually showing their hand? I can see the spin. When you read an article from a couple of years ago, not even a couple of years ago, and they go out of their way to explain how Trump's an idiot, guess what? That's probably spin. You read an article now, they go out of their way to explain how Biden's an idiot, spin. Read both sides. Figure out the facts that are in between the two. That's part of this research process. That's part of this being thoughtful. If you hear something that just feels so atrocious, for a while there was a statement that pedophilia was legal in California because of a bill that got passed about how they sentenced people who were, who were found guilty of felony pedophilia. But the headlines spun to pedophilia is now legal in California. Social media ran with that. If you hear that, you got to go, man, I know we're in a broken world. That just feels really extreme. What's, what's the truth in this? I actually went and read the state bill. Found out it was about sentencing. Still a felony. Still not good. No matter who you are on the spectrum of liberal versus conservative, it's still horrible. How people were getting sentenced was changed. God gave us this gift. We need to use it. The other way we can use it is understanding levels of confidence. Some of you may remember, I used to play in the band, so I have some musical skill. And I've always said, when I'm around people who don't have musicianship, I'm like a B plus, A minus. Like, I look like a rock star. If you don't play an instrument, I look really cool and talented. 
I get around other musicians, especially professional giggy musicians, my limits get figured out real quick. I don't pretend to be capable of doing things that I'm not. And somehow over the last year, everybody's an expert on everything. I have the gift of having friends who are in pharmaceutical sales, friends that are doctors. You know, I've learned over COVID, not all two doctors are the same. You ever heard of a specialist? It's because they spend their time getting really deep and really accurate on their specialty. So all doctors can be a gift, but an orthopedist and a virologist, they're different. What their expertise really comes down to is different. And the person who took high school science doesn't even come close to them. But we seem to feel like everybody has an equal level playing opinion. We can't let this happen anymore. Know your source. You hear something that seems a little bit off, even if you agree with it, figure out who's saying it. Where's it coming from? That's the biggest thing that's happening right now with how we understand what's going on with Delta variants and masks and social distancing and everything. Everybody with doctor in their title is being treated exactly the same. They are bright people who have all taken up this difficult life of being a doctor. It is a tough life. Always being on call. Always having to see most people at their, at their physical worst. But on certain topics, they're just not all the same. So understanding how much confidence we should have in that source. If you're 30% confident in a topic, don't act like you're 100% confident. Act like you're 30% confident. It's okay to not be 100% confident. Guys, there's one thing that we should have 100% confidence in. God's big lens. That God is sovereign in control, that he sent his son Jesus who died for our sins, and we will have a glorious eternity with him. Everything else, there's percentages. And I will tell you, you talk to anybody outside of this world and you have a calibrated version of how confident you are in something, you want a way to lower their defenses? There's an honesty in there that is phenomenal for building bridges. Hey, I've heard this. I'm about 52% confident that's probably the full story. But it makes me think. And then you can have a dialogue from there. Once we have our head wrapped around the process that we go through to understand this, we can go here, we can assess ourselves in light of God's big lens. So when we read articles or we hear other people talking about something on the other side, we don't feel defeated by what we find. We've locked ourselves in of this is the way the world has to work. This is how it has to be. And now all of a sudden someone's thrown something at us and it just crushes us because we don't know how to deal with it. Because we wanted to be right. And the shake that that's going to have to our foundation. When we step back and realize that we have a God who's in control, we don't feel defeated. It's a great first sign to seeing something that's countered where you think and you're actually able to process and critically think through this. The other piece is that we have perspective on the news versus God's kingdom. 
This last year and a half stinks. I don't know about for you. It stinks for me. It stinks for my wife who's a teacher. It stinks for my kids and their school experience. It stinks for my friends who have lost their jobs. And it stinks that all this garbage is still going on. But that doesn't have to be our story. If we make that our story on social media or in all our conversations, we're no different than this world. It can stink, and we can still know that God is in control. We can still celebrate Jesus and what he did for us. It doesn't have to just be about what's happening right here in our small lens. So when we're able to actually look at the world and then assess ourselves versus the big lens, we realize we can live life like we trust in God's big lens. We can hold to biblical truth and remain informed. That is our ultimate grounding. We'll work through news cycles. We'll work to try and understand what's going on. We never let go of our biblical truth of who God is. We care for the sick, the hurt, and the lost. We never stop being involved. Even if their opinions are different, even if what they're posting on social media is different, we don't withdraw. We stay in this game because that's what we're called to do when Jesus changes our lives. We engage, we have patience, and genuinely listen to people. And very specific to today, we think before we post. I know some wonderful people who have posted some pretty junky things. Surprised me. Some people I've been able to have conversations with. We have an opportunity to reflect on is this statement about the broken world valuable right now? Or are we better served talking about Jesus? So in light of this big lens, small lens thinking, I want to wrap up this series with a pretty simple idea. I'm going to answer this question. In case you haven't heard it overtly, I'm going to answer the question, is it time for the church to change? Yes, it is. And no, it's not. <laughs> we don't let go of the truth. I'm working on my Old Testament class right now. 4,000 years of God revealing himself to us. That is held together for 4,000 years because it is truth. We see it all as truth. We see the Bible as inspired by him and a gift to us to understand how this world works. But this world is broken and constantly changing. And because it changes, we have to learn how to meet it, to continue to share the gospel. And as we change, we talk about OST, ongoing spiritual transformation here. We transform, our lives look different. We keep changing how we meet people. So we hold to our truth. We do not change. 
but we figure out how to change to meet those broken, hurting people wherever they are. This is life. This is faith. This is the challenge of those two things working together. We have a gift that we know who God is. And I pray that we never lose sight of what that is. So gracious Heavenly Father, in your big lens, in your view of how we will ultimately be brought back together with you, we are so grateful. We are grateful for feeling loved. We are grateful for feeling loved when we fall down. We are grateful for second chances. We are grateful for those people you put in front of our lives that challenge us to think. We are grateful for those epiphanies that draw us closer to you. We are grateful for your word to anchor us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you never change. In your name we pray. Amen.